Hi again, everybody. It's Neil Malonsaw on the Twilight After Show. It's been a while. With me in the studio is Carl Wiggers, co-producer, as well as co-host Kristen Oakes-White and Avery Davidson. Catch Avery while you can, because he's not <laughs> going to be around very much. Uh, hasn't been around very much. None of us have really been around very much. We've nope. scattered to the four corners of the earth, literally, while uh, three of us here went to Japan and Thailand. Kristen led a delegation to Austin for the American Farm Bureau Convention. We've been all over, and... Uh, we did record a podcast in there, but uh, between the Thai beer and the noise, uh, let's just <laughs> say that noise, that uh, noise, let's, noise it's the noise. Problem. Yes, yeah. it was definitely not alcohol related at all. Anyway, <laughs> moving on to this week, we've got a pretty good show here lined up. We've got a new team member officially, Jennifer Finley, mm-hmm. and uh, she is going to be, of course, still doing Field to Feast with us, as well as some farmer profiles and some in-depth study of stuff she's always wanted to do. And uh, this week on the show... She's got Mushroom Maggie, who is a featured, I guess she's always there at the Red Stick Farmer's Market mm-hmm. selling her fungus, so to speak. <laughs> she's actually, she. we've met her before on Field mm-hmm. to Feast. Jennifer did a longer uh, uh, Field to Feast segment there at their farm where they uh, had the chef, Chef Tori, out there. It was a really cool episode, but one thing Jennifer's doing now, one of her passion projects, if you will, is women in agriculture, which mm-hmm. is very timely and perfectly timed with the Women in Ag conference that's coming up in March. Um, March eleventh, twelfth and thirteenth. Yes. Yeah. So but that's kind of where she's trying to she's kind of building a uh, a series, if you will, profiling women in agriculture. So she started with Mushroom Maggie and it is an excellent story. Lots of lots of storytelling. Not much script in there. It's really cool. What I like about it is there is no shortage of features that she'll be able to do here in Louisiana. We have so many great women mm-hmm. working in agriculture who are farmers, who are ranchers, who have jobs that you might not think of normally being associated with agriculture, working working at, uh, at some of like Louis Dreyfus Commodities. Mm-hmm. I know some of the folks over there, and you're like, I never thought that maybe women would be involved in that. And this is going to really, I think, put a spotlight on that. It's a it's a growing uh, demographic for sure. I think they're up to like thirty percent. Is that right? Of um, farmers in America are women now. That's what the statistic that we read earlier. <laughs> statistic. <laughs> you remember that from the script? I don't even remember. And I it's think. it's up from twenty three percent. I think like ten or fifteen years ago. Yeah. But I think it's something that. They've always been on the farm. Women have always been part of the farm. And, you know, running farm economics is something that's been kind of a a women's job. But it's, I mean, it's as important, if not more important, than anything that goes on on farms. But it's not just economics. It's not just keeping the books nowadays. Yeah. There's, think about Amelia Kent. Mm -hmm. She's on that farm every day. And it's not just. A lot of legal work, too. Oh, a lot. Oh, there's that, too. But it's not just, you know, you know, keeping a spreadsheet straight. It's, you know, it's putting your boots on and getting dirty. Oh, yeah. But what I liked about Jennifer's story with Mushroom Maggie was going into her history and going mm-hmm. into what really drives her when it comes to growing mushrooms, how she got started. And just uh, I really liked that you saw the way they clicked. Yeah. You know, they, you could tell that they became fast friends and yeah. that it comes across in the story. And, and it, I think it really is something if you haven't watched it yet, if you're listening to this podcast before watching it, watch the piece and you're really going to feel that chemistry that's there. Yeah. And one thing also, you talk about them being friends. Jennifer, she she had this idea to do a podcast kind of with some of the she left a ton on the cutting room floor, <laughs> which is something we all do when we're doing stories. But 
she said, there's so much more there. I want to tell that story. So she was thinking about trying to figure out a way to incorporate all of her audio into a podcast. And then she's like, you know what? I'll just get her to come in and we'll just do a sit down interview. So our next Louisiana Farm Life podcast, which we've also been lacking on <laughs> this uh, while we've been traveling so much. But that next episode, we're, shoot, we're going to record next week with Mushroom Maggie. And she's going to come in the studio and Jennifer and uh, Maggie are going to chat about some of those stories that didn't make it into the onto the show so it'll be really really a cool conversation i do have a question for you Kristen. that that is it seems like at the 4-h level at the ffa level there's a lot more women in ag who are are at least showing cows showing sheep showing you know showing stuff but they lose it somewhere in between you know they don't return back to the farm what do do you think's happening there i think a lot for for a guy Carl, for example, you grew up in agriculture, had a background in it. Um, if you wanted, or if you guys had the land or the re- or for whatever reason, if you wanted to go back to the farm, to farm with your family, mm-hmm. you could. But I think for women, it's not this, they don't feel like necessarily, or don't have a desire maybe, or don't feel like it's something that, that they're offered to do. And especially if there's brothers, but I do know Landon's cousin actually, she is working on the farm with them and she does a lot of the she doesn't drive a tractor every day but she does a lot of the behind the scenes things so i think that there are a lot of different opportunities like you said they're mm-hmm. working at grain bins working for chemical companies working i consider myself working in agriculture mm-hmm. you know i never wanted certainly didn't want to go back to the chicken houses <laughs> by yeah. any means or never had a desire to do production agriculture but wanted to be involved in it in some way and i think we need more opportunity we need more degree programs we need more things that like ag communications lsu has never had an ag communications program there's a lot of people that have an interest in agriculture mm-hmm. but just don't necessarily want to go into production agriculture they do now they do now they do now have an ag communications program in fact uh, met with uh dean as martin johnson no it's as a minor yeah it's see. as a minor but uh, that's one thing that we're t- the Louisiana Farm Bureau is te- teaming up with them on. Mike was no, always an advocate for that yeah. and talked about that. And another thing that, I mean, one place I think you don't maybe not see it on the farm, but you also see a lot of those women that grew up on in agriculture, love agriculture, becoming ag educators. Right. You mm-hmm. see a ton of female ag teachers. That's something I've seen a lot. Just, you know, you, you go to Vermilion Parish and there's three or four of them on their right. wife and our board. Mm-hmm. I think know? they're there. They're just there maybe in a behind the scenes, not necessarily the farmer that's driving the mm-hmm. tractor. I think one part of it is is that <clears throat> traditionally when farming was much more labor intensive, men were better suited to the work because of the stronger, you know, physique. But that's changed. I mean, that's not really the case anymore. It's not, you know, the, even in the labor intensive areas, it's not very, it, it's not reliant on a lot of upper body work. And I think culturally, we're just catching up to that fact that, you know, women can drive a tractor just as well as a man can or, or any, you know, especially oh. the modern stuff we drive themselves. Better than this man can, I promise you. <laughs> a lot the, any any woman who grew up on the farm can definitely drive a tractor better than I can. Right, right. Well, uh, speaking of women on the farm, Taylor Fry also joins us for this week, and she is doing a piece on soil health specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a time of year when we go in and we disc the fields and get everything ready, but there's a, a new twist on that with a farmer in Caldwell Parish. Is that right? Yeah, there's a farmer there who's actually... He, he's really big into soil health, which is a lot of these stories that Taylor's doing with the NRCS. They're talking about soil health and 
you know, how to pres- preserve the soil that you have. And they do a, uh, they're doing cover crops. And that's one of the things they're doing in the off season, which is we're coming out of right now. But that's what he's gotten really into. And he actually, you said something in the tag about him growing his own seed, right? Yeah, he became a Louisiana seed dealer so that he could sell the seed for cover crops to Louisiana farmers and they wouldn't have to pay so much in transportation costs, which makes perfect sense. I guarantee you, you know, if the price is lower, more farmers are gonna, going to consider it. And it really is good for the soil. It keeps the soil you have there during the winter months, and that's really important. Which is important when it's rained as much as it has in these winter months yeah it has been crazy with the rain and you know we're going to talk about that too but uh one thing i did want to mention is that black oat it's called cossack and it's not spelled like the russian thing it's c-o-s-a-q-u-e so whenever you see that weird you know yeah. spelling there it's just pronounced cossack there's a whole online video where people are trying to guess how it's pronounced and there's <laughs> a lot of interesting guesses i'd well, probably say it wrong yeah well my anybody yeah. would i think all right let's move on carl You've got uh, you got a bird's eye view on some grain bin safety this I week. I did. We've done these stories for now probably six, seven years, way before mm-hmm. I've been here. Wendell Miley, the Farm Bureau safety guy, safety guy. That's his title. It's safety, safety guy. That's safety that's guy. really official. Yeah, yeah. I would say the safety guy, Louisiana Farm Bureau safety director and facilities manager. And facility. That sounds the safety better. dude. The safety. Yeah, I was thinking safety, safety dude. dude. Uh, safety bro Wendell Miley um, told me it was. It's been seven years now. This is the seventh year that we've had these uh, training workshops for farmers. Um, the first year was in Caddo Parish, then the next year they did it in uh, Crowell. I think you were at that one. Mm-hmm. So we've been doing it for five, six years now, and this is the first time I've been to one. I've been to three or four years worth now, I feel like, and this is the first time I've been to one that's not at night in a shop or you know somewhere like that. It was midday. They had the big. It was perfect, beautiful weather day, sixty-five degrees. And the sun was shining, and we had the trailer outside, and I got to put my drone in the air above it. And it's it's a different perspective when you can look down on that when you can look down on that that grain bin. Uh, I mean, granted, it's eight foot wide and not thirty foot wide, but it, it's different to be able to see above. And one of the things I pointed out on the show is the luxury of that sunlight is not something that those first responders have whenever it's you know go time inside of a grain bin they're actually in a rescue uh-huh. situation it was great for me and you've shot i remember you you said it on there you've shot in those dark shops before it's really hard it's, to, it's a pain it's yeah. difficult so it was really nice for me to be yesterday out in the sun and getting some really good footage and the, and the first responders and the farmers there really seem to appreciate it i know i talked to one of the guys in my story that actually got submerged mm-hmm. who's a firefighter in washington parish and he was just like yeah it's this totally changes what you what like your mindset when you go into this situation as a rescuer and seeing it from that perspective you have the you can see how big of a problem it is and that's the great thing of all that grain Mm -hmm. it's not a small thing you know and and that's why maybe some people don't take it as seriously because eh, it's just corn you know no it's a large volume of uh both uh, a solid that act like acts like a liquid that can bury you and drown you very quickly well you guys none of y'all saw it because you were in Japan, but when we were at in Austin for the American Farm Bureau Convention, of course, we all had to be in there early for the president to speak. And so they showed a movie this year. I think the movie won the American Farm Bureau Independent Film 
awards, some, some, some type of awards, but the movie is called Silo. And I had seen it advertised before, but they showed it to everyone in that room, which was kind of a, I thought it was like a captive, captive crowd. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of a downer too, huh? Yeah. And it was kind of, I mean, if that had happened to you or you know somebody that got trapped in a grain bin, it would, it would make me feel anxious, but it was, it was a very well done movie that gave you the perspective of what it's like to be in there and the, and the kid had asthma and he was Tra- I mean, it was just wow. It it really, even being at one of those green bin exercises doesn't prepare you for the dramatic version of what I'm sure really goes on. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it's a great movie. So maybe we can find a link to that and yeah, put it, it on it, this uh, site. The show notes. You know, you said you we've done that and and given that that they're not prepared for it, and that is the key. This was an interesting year because we had somebody actually saved out of a grain bin who was two people saved, and so the um, and they were trained. The, the rescuers, the first responders, were trained at these grain bin safety training things. So they do work. They do have that. Um, effect on preparing our first responders to be able to, to do that and it saved two lives this year yeah one at the the training the workshop yesterday there was a guy that had been rescued a few years ago in hope arkansas mm-hmm. um which wasn't totally on our radar because it was in arkansas but he was there at this training in bastrop which is just south of the line and uh it was neat because it was another face that's been you know Literally, his life has been saved by the training like this. And uh, I asked Wendell about that. You know, I said, Wendell, I mean, we've been doing this for seven years now, except this year we're finally starting to see some, I mean, not just now. We're not just now seeing the fruit. But I said, this year, literally a couple of months ago, we have to see the fruit of what you've been mm-hmm. working, not you only, but what he's been really championing here in the state and make, putting these out, um, getting these across the state. and. He got chills and he could hardly answer for a second. He had to gather himself, and it was. Yeah. He said it's, it makes him real proud, and it and it should it should make us real proud because that's. I asked him. I said. I said no matter what these things cost, if it, you know, five years later saves one life, what I mean it's worth every penny. So, it's, it was pretty cool to have that kind of, uh, available that that, that I guess that perspective mm-hmm. available to us. He's been instrumental in the training, but also helping some of these rural fire departments get that equipment, mm-hmm. which is so necessary. That definitely that's a yeah. big part of what. And we he, need to and find out how many we've how many of those rescue tubes. tubes have been placed across the state. I know that Cattle Parish Farm Bureau bought two. I think Grant so that, Parish. I mean, yeah. I know that, but I guess just from these trainings, I wonder how many have st- how many have been purchased from those, like stemmed from that. You know, awareness of oh, this is a big deal. Yeah. This is a valuable tool. I, I'm sure the majority of them in the state right now have been as a result of these Farm Bureau mm-hmm. events, and um, it's it's great. It's part of the grain bin safety training is part of Agriculture Safety Awareness Week, which is March 1st through 7th. And uh, some of the things they touch on there, they finally devoted each day has a separate theme. And one of the days is mental health. Mm-hmm. And that's something that, uh, you know, we've certainly touched on in the show. We're going to do more on in the future. Um, I, I, Avery can back me up on this on the trip um, when some of the farmers at night finally let their guard down. Uh, you get to hear and see. I don't want to name any names on, on air, but um, they, they, had, uh, they had some interesting things to say about the toll it can take uh, mm-hmm. on them. And so I'm really glad to see mental health as part of the safety training thing because it is a life and death situation just like the physical health, just like farm and equipment and grain bin safety. Yeah, just call somebody if you start to feel 
down, depressed, or anything. You know, uh, I don't care if it's your Farm Bureau field man, one of us. I know Kristen has to be up late nights whenever uh, she's looking at soybean prices, and <laughs> and all Landon's got rolled up in there. Well, and when we were at again in Austin for the American Farm Bureau Convention, they had a conference specifically devoted to how the recent environment with the markets, the weather, all kind of the perfect storm that we always talk about has led to all of these mental problems and depression and anxiety. And there were two girls that were, one was giving kind of the reason what led up, what led up to this. And then the other one was talking about the behavioral health specialist. And she gave an interesting perspective of you farmers are, are not always open books and mm-hmm. they don't share a lot of their feelings or thoughts but there are things that as a wife or as a family member or a friend that you might notice they might be sad because maybe they want their cat died or something and that and that's okay to be sad about but she said that there are all of, the, of these other things do they have animals and they're not getting out there at their normal time to feed them are they neglecting to do the things that they've always done and she said when you add up and they're they check off different things on this list that they're doing she said these are red flags for something is wrong and um we can also put that information say, do we think we can find that yeah because it, it was really eye-opening that you, and you don't you think you might stuff. yeah it's things that and you just don't think about mm-hmm. but now I'm, I'm looking for it if i ever think you know that yeah Landon especially is, you as a yeah. wife yeah. Even if you don't suffer from depression, uh, it's a it's a really good thing for you to be able to train in looking for the signs of it. Mm-hmm. Because as Kristen said, it's it's subtle. And uh, I, I think both you know Kristen and Carl are both farm kids. It's different from a job. Mm-hmm. Like if you lose your job, I can understand how that would be upsetting or depressing, but it can be fixed with another job. If you lose your farm you've lost something more than a career or a job it's, your identity. It's, it's an identity it's a tradition it's a family it's it's land it's maybe uh, an inheritance it, that you would mm-hmm. exactly or whatever it is it, it's heritage. generations right. generations attached to you know maybe you losing that right right and so i mean it's it's a big deal and so we'll we'll try and get that up for you one thing i was going to mention you said if, even if you aren't the one suffering from depression i mean Farmers hang out a lot with other farmers, so maybe if you aren't one of those that really fights this, it might be you might be the perfect person to be able to look for those signs and see it in your neighbor or Bingo. the guy that you talked to at the feed store this morning. Or I mean, you might be able to even farmers that text mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah, there are things you know. If you're not responding, if you're not saying things that you normally do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there are a bunch of signs, and I'm glad you brought that up, Kristen. That'd be a great thing to put in our uh, show notes and probably try to find a place to put it on our website Mm -hmm. as well well i want to switch gears uh to one final story and that is we did save something from the japan and thailand trip which is the mizuho beef cattle operation it is the largest cattle farm in japan is that say it one more time mizuho i like hearing you say japanese words. yeah because i don't say it as well i said mizuho uh yeah uh so i'll try to remember to pronounce it correctly next time i go to japan um You'll go back Neil's before I will. Yeah, learning. I was about to say, his, his bags stay packed. So is your brother, Carl. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It, I tell you what, it was an amazing place to visit. You want to uh, talk about the trip for a second? It was uh, awesome. I'm just going to yeah. Kristen's going to go ahead. I'll, I'll hit well, you had an bring, awesome trip to Austin. It was an awesome trip. So I don't I'm think it's on the that. same uh, zip code of what you, you had guys barbecue. Literally. Yeah, barbecue. Now, I will say, yeah, I will say that y'all's 
y'all look like it had a grueling experience. It was early mornings and yeah, the first night. The first day we were there, uh, we had to be up and ready to leave the hotel at 5 a.m. That must I have been 4.30. Yeah, because he called yeah. me, and I just had a conversation with your dad about what time it was there. He said, I think it's 3.30, and then about 30 minutes later, Avery called me, and I said, what time is it there? Yeah, no, it's, it was crazy. Yeah, no, it, right about the time we got done, got ready to leave Japan, I just about figured out the time difference and knew when the best time to call Brittany was, and then we went to Thailand, and it shifted a couple hours, and I had to like recalibrate my head and it was it was a great trip as a class member i got mm-hmm. to go and enjoy thank goodness for you two going because i didn't have to shoot as much video still shot a lot of photos well i'll ask the question since y'all all went and i can ask <laughs> what was the most memorable stop or part of the experience for each of you Ooh. i'll say for me um n- memorable it just stood out as are your as favorite impressive. tell me your favorite my, most impressive to me was the sugar cane uh the sugar mill and because, and I hope I didn't steal one of y'all's answers, but go right ahead. Because what was so impressive about it was, it, they they bring in the the tonnage they bring in is half as much as the entire state of Louisiana's sugarcane production. They process half of what Louisiana produces, and it is the largest sugar mill in the it's world. It's the largest sugar so, mill in the world, or they at least claim make that claim i don't think that it's been verified because they well, put it on the backs of the shirts but they're marketing yeah their marketing department is definitely selling it that way however yeah. uh brazil may have a different have a, ideas yeah regardless what was so, it was just so impressive because they bring in so much and they use every piece of the cane like for us i mean they, they were even Kristen, just for some perspective they were even going back into the field after they've harvested and bailing just the the, the, the clippings, the trash, and bringing it to the mill because they use that to make fuel, electricity. Um, I mean, paper products. They have, you know, so much to uh, so much extra processing that they're they're, put, they're producing a lot more than just sugar. And it was just fascinating. Was, was that sweet, sweet Neil's favorite? Sweet, sweet too? Neil, I think enjoyed it too. I and I did enjoy it. The we're going to start calling you Sweet Carl, though. How about that? The the. Um, I, I really was impressed with what they did with Bagass, turning it into recyclable products. Mm-hmm. I think there's definitely opportunity for that here. I know that there's been some economic issues and, and that kind of thing, especially since many of the mills use the Bagass to fuel their, their mills. But um, they turned it into some really sturdy-looking paper plates, mm-hmm. don't you think? Yeah, like the Chinette ones that right. you, you go and whenever you – when you're having that really nice, fine backyard barbecue. That good, that good barbecue. That good barbecue. Yeah, you don't, you don't go with the – the Dixie or the Sam's Choice, you go yeah. with the Chinette, and so that's what it was a lot like. So, Bagnet, what was maybe. your favorite part? What was your favorite stop? My favorite stop. That's really tough because I listen. I I loved a lot of the agriculture. I loved uh, going to the the rice uh, museum and going to the rice mill, but I really love all the cultural stops. Um, I yeah. I love to go. I mean, seeing Wadaroon seeing the grand palace um going to the imperial palace that that all really that's what that's what really moves me and maybe I, that was all in thailand by the way not all of it no the imperial, the imperial palace, palace, palace japan. japan you're right yep. i'm sorry it was raining and getting hearing neil talk about the the black pines mm-hmm. and you know the tie to his grandfather i thought that that's the kind of thing that really moves me on a trip like that because things grow everywhere and that's not to downplay any any part of agriculture but people are what really 
and, and, and they're different, but also the same. I, I got such great giving vibes from, you know, the people of Thailand, the people of Japan. Uh, it was – when we went – I'm, I'm nailing my favorite part right now. And does it quack like a duck? It does. It quacks like a duck. When Neil Kitcha and I, Kitcha was our guide, went to the place that made roast duck, and we sat down and we each ordered the the sampler platter where it was pork, duck, and Chinese sausage on a bed of jasmine rice, and we each ordered a nice tall cane sugar sweetened coca-cola in a glass bottle yeah and we sat down and just had a really good meal at a michelin rated yes a michelin rated that opened in 1909 i mean it was this was an old establishment and we paid 11 dollars not 11 dollars each we paid 11 (laughs) dollars for that meal and it was amazing i can't believe just looking at the pictures, nobody mentioned the big fish market. Well, that's what I, I was going to mention is Toyosu Fish Market. Is the, uh, it used to be Tsukiji, but um, they moved it uh, a couple years ago. And uh, that well, was the very first stop. you had to get up at 4 a.m. to go see. We did, but it was um, – of course, I'm a Japanophile. I love the country. I've been three times now. And I've been uh, there – I was there in country 10 days before the, the rest of the ag tour got, it, got there. And I got to go to Kyoto and some of the other places people didn't get to go. And then – but seeing the fish market was something that I, I – always wanted to see because it's like it's like the farm to table movement i mean this is that step between my love of sushi and where it comes from with the farmers and talking we got to we got a scoop with one of the 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 guys who's a trader at the toyosu fish market who just happened to be giving another tour to another group and so we just scooped him in and um, started talking with him, and it was uh, it was really great that we got that experience to be able to. He told us what it's like selling these fish every single day. And one of the things that he does is um, he sells these. Uh, he was part of that sale at the beginning of the year where they. They sort of it's like one of those farm auctions where they jack up the price of things of ordinary mm-hmm. stuff in order to give to charity or to, you know, boost somebody's name or something like that. And so they sold a, a fish for almost two million dollars. And uh, well I was doing research on the place trying to write a intro or whatever for the show. Right. When we put it on Facebook and I noticed about the Two million dollar was at the highest. I'm sure yes. they told you it was one the second million. highest at the time. I think. Uh, I think they've sold them one higher. Yeah, than I think that, they've done it one over two million. Yeah, they were huge uh, and they look like the size of this table. Yeah, they mm-hmm. are, and they core them out. And I mean, it's it's um the it's called toro. The the belly of the tuna is the the fatty portion of it that the Japanese just go crazy for for sushi. And so um, it's a delicacy, and it's 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 not like if those of you haven't had sushi or don't maybe aren't. Uh, really too keen on the idea of raw fish get the idea of that fishy taste out, out of yeah. your head because it's nothing like that it's, it's like it's like a buttery goodness but it's a shame you didn't eat any sushi while you were there no not a lick not a lick uh-huh. and it's almost like you would go to a place that had a conveyor belt bringing it to you yeah. uh, right in front of you that that's what you would have liked to have done right <laughs> i felt like homer simpson on that thing where the he goes <laughs> the devil's donuts. feeding him donuts you know and he's more more <laughs> more <laughs> i went i went with uh a few of the classmates and uh i guess atticus i think it was atticus finger who had like 
10 or 12 plates. He just stacked them. And I was like, man. You know, one of my down. favorite memories was actually talking with your brother. And uh, I had to go to the the class back in October and give a presentation on Japan and, and let them let them know. Well, I mean, they, they invited me to. And so... Um, and I talked up Japan, but everybody at that time had heard more about Thailand and were much more interested in going to Thailand. Well, by the end of the trip, I had converts uh, <laughs> over, and one was your brother. And he said, if I had to, he, we were in Bangkok, and he said, if I had to get back on a plane and go spend a week in Tokyo right now, I would do it. And I said, did you ever, as a country boy from Franklin Parish, think that you would want to go back to, much less go to in the first place, the largest city in the world. And he shook his head no. He said, but the people were so friendly. It was so clean. And, and I just felt so welcome. The food was amazing. And that's the great thing about that trip, as Bobby says, it opens up that that narrow little dot of the world that you're familiar with and into some really incredible experiences. I wanted to say one more thing that I enjoyed. So the sugar mill in uh, Thailand was actually out in the country. And that's, I just wanted to say in general, talked about the the big city of mm -hmm. tokyo when we got out into the country of thailand it mm -hmm. i mean it, it was looked different but it you could have just as well been in the country of northeast louisiana or wherever it was or it felt like west texas i guess probably more so but it, yeah it just felt like the country yeah you know it was pretty neat i, I love the countryside of of Thailand a lot. And you'll see that in Avery's piece this week. Uh, the Mizuho farm is in uh, Ibaraki Prefecture, which is northeast of Tokyo. And it's this gigantic, even by American standards, cattle farm ringed by mountains. 6,500 head, 1,500 of them are dairy cattle. They milk the dairy cattle three times a day and each produces an average of 88 pounds of milk. Good grief. It was an impressive place. What was crazy to me was... They have three distinct operations that happen at that one farm that would be perfectly, you know, full businesses here in the mm -hmm. States and probably elsewhere in Japan as well. But they're like, there were three, like they, you could have an, a dairy that, that exists. You can have a Wagyu operation where you're just raising Wagyu beef. They had those two plus, uh, what, the F1? Is that what yeah, they were having? Yeah, the, the hybrids, yeah. Hybrids. Yeah. So they're raising, I mean, they have three different things. I think it's, I'm excited to see the story because you know, after a few weeks it's been now, it should be neat to kind of get a refresher oh, on that. The great thing was watching Adam Callhern from uh, Caddo Parish. He was excited about that hay. Oh, he was all about the hay, and especially because the guy who was leading us around was a hay farmer himself and pulled aside his shirt, and there was the, the logo for his hay company on his shirt and that at that point they were inseparable i think they were facebook friends before we left the farm I think so adam's probably already trying to ship him some uh, hay over he there. is he told me on the, he says his dream is to sell cattle overseas sell hay overseas somewhere and i gotta give a bunch of props to uh, miyuki miyazaki our guide who was there in japan she was just we talked about facebook friends before we left she mm -hmm. and i became facebook friends before uh, we left yeah, it's, yeah, I know it's Mickey, but... <laughs> That's what she I, told I, us all to call her. It's like, <laughs> just call me Mickey. <laughs> uh, I just, I adored her, and I thought that she was a, an amazing guide for us, as mm -hmm. Kitcha was for us in uh, Thailand. The, are you going to ever do that shrimp story from Thailand? Eventually, <laughs> once I'm done with all my travels, because... Uh, There's one more story in the pipe that's coming... To the Twilight viewers someday in the yeah. next six months, I guess. But. Yeah, it's, it's just been so tough, because, I mean, um, so we had that trip. Came back for a week. I went to Washington, D.C. with the Young Farmers and Ranchers. I'm back this week, 
and then I'm going livestock le- tour next week. Yeah, the beef tour on Sunday going to Florida. We've make we're making like 10, 15 stops all across the state there. Going to Dakin Dairy, which was the first story Kristen Ashley Oaks did. Went back it was awful. Way back in the day. That Not woman had a laugh though. Oh, she had yeah. The the story being there was wonderful. The story that I put out was awful. You, you did fine, but uh, and then after that, I'm back for a week, and then I go to uh, St. Louis, Missouri, to help with the uh, Partners in Advocacy Leadership, help Throw train uh, our, our future advocates. Well, we will try somehow to carry on without I, your I hope wayward we can do son. It, Neil, can we do it? You think we can do it? I think we can. I okay. think y'all will be better off. Uh, <laughs> uh, We'll no, nothing but reruns from now till then. No, <laughs> no, we will definitely be back and be producing new shows for you. Uh, thanks, guys, for a, another great podcast. Carl Wiggers, my co-producer, Avery Davidson, and Kristen Oaks-White. On behalf of them, I'm Neil Malawsaw. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. If you can, subscribe to us on your favorite place to get podcasts. Also, leave us a review wherever you're listening, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play, and let us know what you think about the show. Reviews are great, but sharing is how you show that you're caring. So bring (laughs) your mother in, bring your sister in, share this podcast with them, let them know that you enjoy listening to the Twyla After Show. And don't forget this podcast is produced by the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation, the voice of Louisiana agriculture. 